This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Thanks, everyone. I'm a sports mom, so I know what it takes to cheer. So y'all did a good good cheer this morning. Thank you. Um, Dave, you said that we're out of here in 35 minutes. You, you told me I could speak for an hour. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Becky, and I was asked to share on a verse that changed my life. So this is pretty cool. So again, if you've been here for a couple of years, we've been here for a long time here at the church, but um, kind of sit in the back row and run in and out a lot. So I'm, I'm Becky, Pastor Becky now, through the POC officially. And I've worked for many years in nonprofit. I am married to the man of my dreams, so you probably recognize him more. He's the guy with the beard and wears shorts and minus 30. That's my husband, Jeremy. <laughs> we have two boys. They are 14 and 12, and uh, we do a lot of really cool things as a family together. So currently, like Dave said, I'm a pastor. I'm a certified trauma professional, and I've also recently started my own consulting business. So. I was raised in a home by parents who came to the Lord just before I was born, so God's always been a part of my life. I don't have this gigantic, amazing, one-time saving grace of Jesus redemption story to look back at, but uh, I have a lot of stories throughout my whole entire life where I can talk about God's provision and his faithfulness so many times. When we were talking about this verse that changed our lives, um, I was really inspired I know Ethan talked about that road to Damascus moment, and when Pastor Jess asked me, I was like, oh, I know exactly which one. This is the verse that literally changed my life. And we're gonna talk through a little bit of that, the hows and the whys and all that jazz. But um, I just wanna talk for a moment about identity as well. So if you were to ask me 14 years ago who I was, I would have just said I'm a nurse. If you were to ask me about three years ago who I was, I would have said, oh, I'm a director and a co-founder of Next Step Ministries. But I also want to encourage you as we talk today, think about who you are and what God has given you and put in your hand. That's kind of the whole theme that we're going to talk about today. You're going to get tired of hearing that term, what has God put in your hand, and who are you? Who did God make you to be? Um, I want to make it personal. So I'm a person, yeah, I've, I've done public speaking. I've done a lot of teaching more so. I like to do a lot of engagement, so this is kind of hard to stand up here sometimes and just talk at people. But um, like I said, I want to encourage you to make this personal. This is a big deal. We all need stories from one another, and it's so valuable to share. So we need those miraculous, one-time, amazing stories where you build your whole life off of those moments, but we also need people who've journeyed life together, who've done in and out, raising kids, going to sports, doing all those things together. I really believe strongly we're the body of Christ and that each part needs one another. For as long as I can remember, going back into my history, I wanted to be a nurse. I was probably four or five, the first memory I had, and my whole life's aspiration was to be a nurse. I wanted to go overseas, work in the Red Cross, all the blood, the guts, the gore, um, and share Jesus. Yeah, I know, <laughs> it's weird. That was my dream, and so, um, I graduated high school. I grew up in this tiny town in Nowheresville, BC. And I graduated on Saturday, and I moved to Calgary on Sunday because I was going to get my degree in nursing and then possibly even go for my PhD so I could serve the Lord. 
and I was going to go overseas and do all this great work. And I came to Calgary, and I didn't get in to nursing. Um, I didn't get into where I wanted to be. And it was funny because this morning, during prayer time, they talked about how God closes doors to make his plans best. I can personally testify to that. So it was, um, it was devastating. I ended up graduating with my diploma of nursing. And then I met this really super cute guy. So that was good. Um, I still want to go overseas, and I still want to do missions. But I met this guy, and I was like, oh, he's amazing. And God told me, like, you have a choice. God always gives us choice. He said, you can go overseas and go into ministry and serve me away over here, or you can marry this really cute guy, but you're staying in Calgary. So <laughs> I'm assuming you guys know where this leads. Um, <laughs> my husband and I have been married almost 19 years, and I will say I would absolutely choose him every single time. So after my last baby was born, um, by this time I was a nurse, I worked in cardiac surgery for 10 years and a few other places. And we have two boys, like I said, after my second son was born, I was struggling. Man, it was so hard. And I feel what I can look back now and call a sense of holy discontent. And it wasn't postpartum, I had that checked. It wasn't all sorts of other things, but it felt I was just not okay. And I kept saying, God, what do you want from me? Um, I had two healthy kiddos, I had an amazing husband, we had our home, we could pay our bills, we both had good jobs. Um, we had people who loved us, and I wanted to be grateful, but I wasn't okay. I was grateful, but I, I just wasn't okay, and I wasn't content. And so, this went on for a few months. I invited a few people to pray with me, I was like, guys, pray with me, I'm not okay, and I don't like this. I was very uncomfortable with this feeling. And I kept getting the sense that God wanted more, and I kept saying, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And one night it was really bad. And my son, my oldest son was about two at the time, and he was sleeping in his bed. And um, who here likes to look at their babies while they're asleep? It's so nice. They're so peaceful. They're so calm. They're not asking you for things or yelling. Uh, so my baby was sleeping, and I went in and I just knelt by his bed. I was like, God, I want to, what, what's wrong with me? What do you want? And I felt God just tell me, look at him. Look at him. Look at Lachlan. And so I'm looking at this precious child, and he's so sweet, and my heart was so full of love. And I was like, man, he's, he's warm, and he's fed. He's not afraid. He has people who love him so much. He's safe. All of these things kept coming to my mind over and over, and I was like, and I felt God say, that's what I want for my kids. I was like, okay. Absolutely, God, what do you want from me in this? What's my part? And I felt God say, I want you to break cycles. I was like, that's weird. Okay. But with those words, I actually felt peace for the first time in a long time. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to break cycles. That's my whole role. Okay, God, that's great. What does that mean? And I walked away from that time and I was like, okay, so I went back to the people who had been praying with me. I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to break cycles. Pray with me. What does that mean? And, um, I started digging into my Bible and asking God for direction. And so I landed in Exodus. I was looking at leadership in the Bible. And in Exodus, when God said to Moses, what is in your hand? So Exodus 4, 2. Uh, and the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And it, Moses said, a staff. God didn't tell Moses that you have to go back to school for 10 years to do my work. You don't have to change yourself into anyone else. You don't have to perform. You don't have to prove yourself. I'm a highly performance-driven person. <laughs> 
Um, you don't have to do any of these things. Just show up. Show up. Let me, sh let me show you that you're smart enough. You don't have to perform. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to do any of these things to show me that you're brave enough, strong enough. All you have to do is show up with what's in your hand today. So at that time for me, I was at home. I was on mat leave, and I love to cook, I love to host. Uh, we love to have people in our house. And so there's some pastors in our church at the time, Phil and Jackie Reimer, and I didn't really know them, but I knew they were doing ministry with an organization that worked with marginalized women. And so I was like, oh, I had this great idea. Okay, I'm gonna invite some of these girls over, and we're gonna have dinner, and we're gonna bake cookies, and we're gonna hang out, because that's what, that'd be fun. And so I emailed the pastors, and I was like, hey, would any of the people you work with be interested in coming to our house? And I didn't hear from them. And I felt really, really stupid. <laughs> like, that's the dumbest idea ever. And so then I was like looking for ways to take back emails. It was, it was pretty bad. <laughs> so um, long story short, pastors are really busy, but God is at work. So um, in all of that, um, I just gave God what I had. So we're going to fast forward three years. I mean, that's a whole long story of all that stuff we're not going to go into today. But we're going to fast forward three years. And those same pastors, Phil and Jackie and I, opened up a faith-based safe house with full-time day programming for exploited and trafficked women here in Calgary. And then, sorry guys, you'll get to why I'm emotional in a minute. Um, I get emotional and it's so funny because I told my son, I'm like, I'm probably going to cry. And he's like, mom, why do you always cry? Um, and I didn't cry for years, and then God just kind of started getting me crying in the past two years. It's COVID. It's just been great for everyone <laughs> around me. They love it. <laughs> and we're going to fast forward another nine years, and there's now a couple of safe houses. There's a full job experience training program and full trauma-informed program. There's full-time trauma counselors on staff. Women are coming to freedom. Sorry. It's been amazing. And not only is this place helping women just here in Calgary, there's actually a faith-based voice, not only in Calgary, but in Alberta and in our nation for women who've been exploited. This organization has been amazing. God has done so much. <laughs> See? Sorry, I love that I get to brag about God. He's so real and so present. Now, the part of the reason why my grief at the moment is God called me out of there. And he said, you're done. And so in the last year, that was a big surprise for me because I love this place. I love the work that God's been doing and I love being a part of it. And I don't say that because I, Phil and Jackie, I did not have the answers, let me tell you. And it was not easy. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But yet it was amazing. And we got to see God show up. There was life and death situations where literally we had no answers and nothing, and God showed up. It was so amazing to be a part of. So um, I started feeling again that holy discontent in the past year. And I was like, oh no, God, I really like it here. I I'm adjusted to this discomfort now, I'm good. And um, God said, you're done. And so I had to step out and I talked to the, uh, the current executive director and the team, and I'm like, I love you guys, but God said, I'm done. And I don't know what that looks like. So I started going back into Exodus. So, okay, God, what do you want from me? 
I mean, I've studied the life of Moses for, for many years. I, I think Moses is a great guy. He's great. I, my particular favorite is in Numbers when he would ask God, why did you give me these people? Um, I go back to that one a lot. <laughs> anyway, I looked back at the calling Moses received when asking God what to know or what did he want from me now. And that question, what is in your hand, was back again. And over the last 12 years, there's been other things added to my hand. And so I was like, God, what do you want with this now? What do I have? Jackie talked last week. We're going to hear a lot about it. Some of this might sound familiar. Um, it's so crazy. I was telling Jackie, I was sitting in the sermon last week, and I was making notes, and I was like, oh, I might have to redo a lot of my notes because they're really kind of echoing what she was saying. So if you didn't get a chance to listen, listen to the podcast from last week. It was awesome. Um, this kind of feels like part two. <laughs> anyway, um, I was sorry, I started examining what my heart was breaking for today. And that was my question. Sorry, guys, do we have slides? I, yeah? Perfect. So when I'm talking about calling, I just want to talk to you about calling for a sec. So when, when you're talking about calling, I was like, God, what is it that you have for me? What's in my hand? This is your calling from God. And it's not complicated. Perfect. My first question was, God, what's my heart breaking for now? When I was examining things, what is, what is my heart breaking for? Where is my cry? What gets me up in the morning? What gets me passionate? Um, outside of football and lacrosse, there has to be more. <laughs> so um, I, my heart started turning to the church. And my heart was really broken for the church, for the people sitting here and for the people who haven't had their call activated, for the people who are outside of the church, who are walking in trauma and pain, and the fact that we have amazing answers and resources here in Jesus, and it's not being accessed. How do we do this? Um, my heart, sorry, I was, I'm gonna refer to my notes, because now I got emotional, and I went into my like survival brain, so I'm gonna read a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I'm a nerd. For those of you who don't know me, I'm an absolute nerd, full stop. Um, research is like my favorite. Evidence-based papers, I read for fun. And so, yeah, I'll refer to a lot of weird things. I, I'm trying to keep it more, you know, understandable. My husband's always telling me, normal people don't talk that way. So, <laughs> anyway, um, I just, yeah. I've seen so much trauma in the last 12 years, the last 20 years, including nursing. I've seen so much injustice. I've seen the damaging effects of isolation and the divisive effects of the world we're living in the last few years. I believe this is where we actually get to step in, and this is what my heart's been breaking for. I think we all have a calling, and I think one of the things that so vividly stood out to me in the past two years is how we need one another. Every single person here and out, we are needed. We are called. We need each other. And each one of us has something different in our hand. Um, now, again, if you're like me, I need practical application. I love a praxis to the hypothesis. How do we walk this out? And, you know, we've discredited ourselves so often. So you can just kind of push through those ones, Nate. Um, what are your gifts and abilities? How are they uniquely yours? We need each of us. So a story I have is a pastor's uh, wife growing up. Um, she worked at a senior center. And 
she was washing dishes one night. And she called me the next morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. She's like, Becky, I have a word from God for you. I'm 16. I'm on my way to school. Okay, that's nice. Why is the pastor's wife calling me at 8 o'clock in the morning? And this was before cell phones. It was on the home phone. For those of you who remember, attached to the wall so that I couldn't get ready for school. And she's like, Becky, God told me to tell you you're valuable. I was like, okay, thanks. I got to get ready for school. Talk to you later. She's like, no. She's very feminine. She's like, Becky, God told me to tell you you are valuable. And I was like, okay, thanks. For the next months, years, every time I saw this person, she would tell me, Becky, God said you're valuable. Now, what she didn't know at that time was at age 16, I was actually, I was actually contemplating ending my own life because I didn't think I had any worth. She was just doing her job, doing dishes, and she heard the voice of God and called a surly teenager and called out a surly teenager repeatedly with their value. Um, is that it for that one? Sorry, guys. I, uh, we prepped these slides, and I didn't get a chance to talk to Nate too much, so, and I can't see them. Um, even if it's small or humble, offer what you have. That person didn't have to go to school for that. She just was doing dishes. What you have matters. Um, if you have a job, you have skills, and you have a purpose. If you don't have a job and you're at home, you have skills and you have a purpose. If you're struggling today, you have skills and you have a purpose. But you know what the beauty of being in struggle is that we don't often see? is that we get other people to surround us and walk with those struggles. And you help activate their purpose and their skills. This is why we need one another. We need a multi-generational and diverse church. We need each other. It's so important. Um, so again, walking out some of that praxis, we're going to talk through a little bit about the body of Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 12, because you know the main verse is Exodus, so I'm just hitting some highlights here. I encourage you guys to read through this. So in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the body of Christ, and we all have different gifts. This is intentional. This is God's plan. We have differences. We all do different services. We all have different kinds of working, but it's the same Lord who works for us, and that we work on his behalf. Um, verses 12 to 27 is an analogy of a body with each part arranged to work together and arranged just as God designed so intentionally. God doesn't do things by accident or in chaos. And in verse 27, it says, now you're a part of the body and each one of you is a part of it. It goes on to say, one part can't say, I don't need you. You are all needed and necessary. So I'm going to go back in here and... Um, yeah, don't disqualify yourselves, guys. Again, we're not going to go through this. Take a look at these verses. We have Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. God will equip you. If he calls you, he will equip you. That is his choice. You are called by design. God has a plan for your life. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, it's about God's choosing. It's not your wisdom. It's not your status. Uh, if you read the verse, it actually talks about God calls the foolish things. So I am highly qualified. It's great. Philippians 2.13, it's God who works in you according to his good purposes. 2 Peter 1.3, God has given us everything we need for life. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous because I am with you wherever you go. 
You read the first couple of chapters of Joshua, God repeats this over and over again. I am with you. Be strong and courageous. God is reminding us we're not alone. Isaiah 51, 16, God will give you the right words at the right time. Again, in my nerdiness, I had to stop at one page. I could have probably put 10 pages up there of how God has so perfectly called you and it's up to him who equips you. We're often ready to discount or discredit ourselves, but God actually designed us to lean on one another. Community is God's design. God took what I had to offer, something really humble, a meal at my house, something that I, I did every day, and used that little tiny humble offering, like Jackie talked about the loaves and the fishes, to become part of an organization that serves 70 women a month across our, like across our city and our province. We're going to go back into Moses a bit. And so Moses, oh yeah, we're going to, again, we're going to do a little bit of a comparative analysis. My, uh, my diagram didn't come through on the PowerPoint, so thank you guys for working what you could. But see, I told you I'm a total nerd. It happens. God loves nerds. Um, Moses became known in history as the man who freed the Hebrew nation after 400 years of slavery. The man who wrote the Ten Commandments, he's credited with writing the Torah, which is the foundation of all scripture. That's what Jesus actually learned of scripture. He walked so closely with God, his face glowed. What was in history that made Moses so prepared for this immense task? And I love that I start like, really looking into the life of Moses. This guy had issues. He had an extremely traumatic life. He, he disqualified himself as well. Moses was born in a time of government-mandated infanticide. So at this time in Israel's history, not only were the people severely oppressed slaves, but Pharaoh had also decided that all Hebrew babies born were to be murdered. And he actually gave a command to the, the Egyptian people that if they came across a Hebrew baby, they could throw him in the river. That's a very traumatizing time. Um, Again, trauma is generational. It's carried even within our cells. So Moses has 400 years of genetic trauma he's also carrying. When Moses was born, his parents saw something special about him, it says in Hebrews, and they weren't afraid of the king's edict. He was intentionally hidden in the reeds. His mom had a plan. She's like, no, God, God this kid is special. We're gonna defy what's going on. I don't care what the, what the world says. This kiddo's special. And she put him in a basket of reeds again. We sometimes hear these stories over and over again, and you're like, yeah, okay, I read, this, I read the story as a kid. That's great. But as a mom, the thought of, you know, my baby could be murdered at any time. I'm putting him in a public river, and I'm setting him up so that the princess will find him. It's a pretty dramatic plan if you put it into action. So not only did she do this, she actually walked it out. So she you know, puts Moses in the basket, the princess finds him. Coincidentally, there's Moses' big sister with an offer the princess can't refuse. There's a crying baby, I know a nurse. Moses' mom gets to nurse him and take care of him. Um, Moses was actually adopted by the daughter of his, the, his whole people's sworn enemy. He was, yeah, well, there we go. He had a pretty major identity crisis. So not only was he a prince of Egypt and all that came with that, but he was also a Hebrew slave in his heart. So I, again, looking into how that would fit, he wouldn't fit anywhere. There's a pretty big identity crisis there. Um, one day Moses saw an Egyptian mistreating 
a Hebrew slave, and so he killed him, and he hid the body. This was his little act of, you know, I'm, I'm aligning with the Egyptian or with the Hebrew people. This also speaks to a personal rescue mission. He's like, I'm going to help free my people. I'm going to take care of them. But it wasn't seen as that by his people. They rejected him. They demeaned him. And he ran away. His own grandfather actually tried to kill him. So that's some pretty severe family issues, I would say. Um, as he ran away, he was homeless. He was jobless. He was a refugee in a country he didn't know. Then he... Um, he became a shepherd for the next 40 years. And it's really interesting, again, Moses' life is split into 40-year chunks. And you know when he did the most work? In his last 40 years. Those first 80 years were preparation. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm too old for this, sorry, can't use that excuse. <laughs> it doesn't work. So this is our comparative. So Moses became a shepherd. It was one of the most humble jobs on the market. So going from prince to shepherd. Tending sheep is the opposite of a glamorous job, if anybody who's ever been around a farm. Um, sheep are not fun. The pay's lousy, the working conditions were poor, long, dangerous hours. These obstinate creatures show absolutely no common sense. Isn't it great how God prepares them? <laughs> Moses out doing his job one day like he did every single day, and he knows the bush is on fire. No, no big deal. Fires happen all the time. But what he noticed was this bush wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being destroyed. So he walked closer. And Moses heard the voice of God calling him by name. Moses, Moses. If you look at scripture, any time someone's name is called twice, um, Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Samuel, Samuel. It's an elevation. If you look at the story, that person's status has been elevated. God was working to elevate Moses already. He knew his identity. Moses was terrified. So God said, don't step any closer. So he didn't. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. So he did this. Moses is very obedient at this point. Um, he hid his face. God told him, you're standing on holy ground. So Moses was there in the desert, nothing fancy, doing what he did every day. That was his holy ground. Where is it that you go every day? Where is the places that you walk? That is where God has called you today. That is your holy ground. Moses was afraid to look at God's face, it says, which tells me that God was close enough to have a face-to-face -face encounter. God wasn't far away giving him instructions. He was so close that Moses hid his face to not look into the face of God. God spoke to Moses in his fear, telling him who he was. He said, I am your father. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God restored his identity in that statement. I just want you to know that God is also concerned about his people's suffering. He told Moses, I've seen the suffering of my people and I'm concerned for them. And if you're in a time of suffering right now, God sees you and he is concerned about your suffering. You matter. God says he cares about our behalf. Again, we could go through, I could probably post another 20 scriptures on how God cares for us in our times of weakness and our troubles. So I just want to encourage you, God's working on your behalf even if he doesn't see it. Keep walking in obedience and faith and just sit back and see what he's going to do because I promise he's at work for you. God told Moses of his plan of deliverance for his people out of Egypt. Moses said, who am I should, that I should do this? This isn't my deal. Moses is like, I left that place 40 years ago. If I go back, not only is his pride on the line, but his entire life might be on the line. But Moses didn't focus on any of that. He just said, who am I to do this? 
which tells me there's a bit of a confidence issue there as well. Um, Moses wasn't confident. God gave him all of the instructions. He laid it out plan by plan by plan. And Moses said, okay, I can't do this. God said, take your staff, right? You talk to um, what is in your hand. So the staff, it's pretty much a stick. That's what he had. He had a stick. And God said, throw it on the ground. And so he did this in obedience, and it turns into a snake. Now, Moses ran away from that, rightfully so. But then God said, pick it up by the tail. And so he did. And it turned back into a staff. Now, okay, so fun fact. When I was researching best practice on how to pick up a snake, it is actually by the tail. So this, to me, is God's evidence-based, the Bible. We believe the Bible is complete and relevant and true. And it is putting practice to every theory. Um, Abraham, or sorry, Moses focused on his defic deficiencies instead of God's plan and his abundance. God also said, put your hand in your cloak, and it came out with leprosy. Now, leprosy is a death sentence at that time, automatic. You had to live in isolation. You couldn't be around people. Abraham, or Moses didn't panic. He put his hand back in his cloak like God said, and it was restored. So God is showing him in practical, real ways he's present and he's real, and he can perform miraculous signs. God said to Moses, this is so other people believe that I sent you. And so then I was like, okay, that's great. Here's the plan. And then Moses says, okay, that's, that's awesome. You're going to turn the Nile to blood. If, you know, you've proved this over and over. Nope, not me. I'm not doing it. Still not doing it. He has his own personal issues. He's like, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. This is his own heart saying, I can't do this. Moses is vulnerable. And God said, I, I myself, I will train you. I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to speak. And Moses is like, nope, send someone else. So by this time, if you read through Exodus 4, God's, God's anger is starting to burn. And Moses is like, come on, guy. I have given you everything. I've shown you miracles. I've laid out the plan. It doesn't even rest on you. You're just to go on my behalf and just follow the instructions. And he's like, nope. But what I love and I just saw so clearly in this is God's tender heart. And God didn't force him. He gave him options. And he said, hey, guess what? Your brother's already on his way. And his brother was known as someone who could speak. It doesn't say why Aaron was on his way. His brother was already on his way to help. God sends help. We are not to walk out our calling alone. God sends people he already has prepared to surround us and walk us out. You're needed, and your part matters. Each of us matters. God knows what you're capable of. He knew. He said to Moses, I made you. I know what you're capable of. And Moses still, nope. God didn't leave him there. He didn't say, okay, you didn't do what I wanted, so I'm abandoning you. I'm going to find someone else. All of this in a conversation within a burning bush. So when I read through the life of Moses, I see a guy who has a really traumatic history. He led God's people out of the promised land, or sorry, into the promised land. We can just keep going with these ones, Nate. Thank you. He received the Ten Commandments, wrote the Torah, these laws would guide the whole nation of Israel. So you have a whole nation of slaves who have no idea how to govern themselves. And this became a great nation. God restored his identity. He called, him, he called himself the God of your fathers. God gave him courage and the ability to walk out God's plan of rescue, not his own initiated start plan. And was regarded as one of the greatest prophets of all time and is actually noted in, many, in other religions, not just in the, in the Jewish faith and Christianity. 
He was remembered in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 and also called the most humble man who ever walked the earth. God had already prepared supports for him, gave him what was needed to do the job asked. He saw God face to face and walked humbly with him. So I just want to go back to Moses for one sec here. So if you look at what he had to credit himself in, where he was born, how he was raised, the, the job he did, nothing he had going for him in his mind would qualify him to become the leader that he was. He just said, God, okay. And he was obedient in each of the things God asked. And when he wasn't wanting to be obedient, he, he had it out with God and God was already prepared for that and still had a plan in place. Um, I'm going to go through a couple of points. I'm trying to be timely here for our 35 minutes. <laughs> when Jackie was talking last week, I actually copied these notes from what she said, and they, com they actually aligned completely with where I was going. So within our calling, it's God who calls and equips. Give God what you have, even if it feels small. Don't discredit yourself. Again, we have so many examples in the word of how God used people in mighty ways when they themselves would have discredited themselves. We're called to holy work. Where you step is your mission field. Don't overcomplicate your call. Call someone. Talk to them. I do a lot of work um, around suicide prevention. And some of the things, that just practical supports we teach people. Look people in the eye. Smile at them. You don't know that you can actually change their life with seeing someone. We're called, sorry, our mission is not just our work, it's our lives. Your life doesn't qualify you. The, of, the cross of Jesus qualifies you. And that is such a relief. Do you know it doesn't rest on you alone? Man, I, I feel so much better about that because I can't do it. Honestly, I'm very, very transparent. I can't do this alone. It's all about God's work. And last, I want to ask you, what is in your hand? How has God made you unique? Where have you been called to serve? Are you a teacher? Are you, in, are you a first responder? Are you in the hospital? Some of those jobs, it's really easy to see how you can serve other people and bring life. But I'm here to say every single person has that calling. Wherever you are placed, that's your call. You're supposed to be there. I love this quote. So I grew up in Christian school. And I learned all about missionaries and evangelists and such. And uh, this is a quote that stuck with me for years. It's by Dwight L. Moody. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And by God's help, I aim to be that man. So does anybody here know who Dwight Moody is? Dwight L. Moody? A couple of people. Awesome. Yeah, so Dale Moody was an evangelist in the 19th century. And he's been credited with presenting the plan of salvation and the gospel by voice or pen to, they call it a conservative estimate of 100 million people. He founded Bible schools and schools for both men and women. He traveled the world. He bridged denominations to bring the gospel. Dale Moody had a grade five education. He had a pretty, again, traumatic family history. And he taught himself how to read with the Bible at age 17. Nothing in his history would have predicted the outcome of what his life led. But he had found Jesus, and that's all he had in his hand. And look at how God could use him. So for yourself today, guys, I just want to ask you, what's in your hand? 
We need you. I just wanna really encourage you, you matter, and you have a calling. God has plans for you. It doesn't have to be a big, crazy, exciting plan. Some of you do have big, crazy, exciting plans, and that's amazing. Start putting feet to them. Sometimes it's as small as inviting in a friend or a neighbor. We all need one another, and your part's important. So we're working intentionally this fall here at Journey Church, and we want to get people connected. So this is brand new. It's uh, Pastor Gifty's been working overtime uh, to get this up and going. And we want to connect each other. If you've been here for years, if you're brand new, we want to know who you are. Let's activate our gifts together. Let's do this together. You are needed and you matter. Um, On this new website, we're going to have... Again, you can just use your phone and use the camera app. I think Heather said she she had it figured out this morning. I haven't tried it yet. There's also little papers in front of your, uh, in in the seats. And you can use your phone and connect. So in this connection spot, there's a place to talk about, you know, who are you? And do you want to stay connected? You don't have to. This is a choice. But can I tell you, it's so much better to journey together. Everything I've learned is we need one another. Like I said, You'll get tired of hearing me say that a lot. Um, and what is in your hand today? We get, we get to have opportunity in the Connect track and through different services here to connect and see you walk out your giftings and encourage one another. So just use this. The, the forms are confidential. There's a part where you can click if you want a prayer request. Did you know that we have an amazing prayer team here? And they pray vigilantly for you. If you're going through struggles, reach out. You matter. And you get to have people walk alongside you. And I've received that help, and it's really humbling. But it's changed my life. There's a verse that talks about we, we give out of the comfort we've received. So ask for, receive comfort, and then let's journey together. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.